Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello again and welcome to CTRM Radio, a podcast series from Commodity Technology Advisory, kindly sponsored by Enuit, an award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide. Well, in Europe, the energy transition has seen quite a sudden shift from large fossil and nuclear fuel generation facilities to a host of smaller renewables and batteries. With increased focus on environment, a lot more changes may be expected, including the wide-scale adoption of EVs and the closer integration of local, distributed generation and demand response with the grid. This episode explores where that future may lay, whether there's a disconnect between politicians' visions and the reality of a stable grid, what may need to change in order to achieve it, and a look at how ETRM and other software solutions may need to evolve. Let's start with a little forward vision from Jürgen Meyerhofer, founder and CEO of Inspired Trading. I think when we talk about flexible assets, most people have uh, still big centralized assets in mind. So when they talk batteries, they talk large scale batteries or power mm-hmm. storages or, or thermal flexibility. What we see a lot is that people are, are moving and actually since, year, since years also to aggregate smaller assets. The main business model in that area is, is still bidding into ancillary services, I would say, uh, which are TSO, organized markets, I, I would call them. And it's at the moment really tough to bid these assets um, aggregated-wise in, into wholesale markets. The main reason for that is, I would say, um, that the regulations in place and in, in different countries. So we've seen last year um, UK making a leap. In, in that market by implementing the so-called virtual lead party. Um, I think it's available since um, May-ish 2020, which allows flexibility providers to kind of independently uh, get access to, to flexible assets and, and bid it into markets, um, which is a huge step that we have to take all over Europe or, or globally. So I think that the biggest uh, problem is regulation in that sense. Um, I'll give you an example. In, in most markets, if, if you want to get your hands on a battery um, on an industrial site or on, on um, the flexibility out of, of 30 charging points uh, for e-mobility, you typically have to be the utility. So you have to be the electricity provider for that client because all the metering point or smart meters um, in, are in your balancing group. And that's the only way to access those markets part of those assets and provide them in different markets. Um, and this is most certainly a, a regulation that, that has to change. So who and how and when can exit, access flexible assets? The second thing is that um, a lot of markets are not uh, at the moment designed as, as free, free markets or trading markets. Um, they're, they're built with auction-based uh, mechanisms. They are built um, with a strong... Um, TSO perspective, I would say that's that's nothing ba- bad because um, they have a big stake in the discussion and they have to ensure stability and reali- reliability of the grid. But still, I think when it comes to more decentralized assets, even down to households, so people having PV on the roofs, having a battery, even having maybe two charging points for their, for their cars. The question is, what happens with the flexibility there? For sure, um, on, a, on a single household or, or small scale commercial 
uh, basis, it's it's just you, you cannot access the big markets. So there needs to be some kind of aggregation because if you think of one household having the fully fledged um, energy transition setup, I, I would call it, they have generation side flexibility. So they could even shut down their PV panels uh, in case of um, we had some two, three weeks ago, super negative prices in Germany, even during lunchtime. So they could also buy um, on the market. They have the opportunity to, to use feed-in tariffs in, in some countries. They have the opportunity to, to not sell it in the market or feed it into the into the grid, but put it into the battery for storing uh, because behind the meter, you maybe know that you have to charge your car in two hours. Yep. So I think if you if you not consider the single assets and say, okay, that's a consumption side flexibility, um, or that's just generation side, if you all bundle that and, and look at it as a whole, you, you most probably have uh, flexibility in two directions. You have the battery in two directions. Um, you have smart charging one direction, most probably in the future, both directions with vehicle to grid. Um, and you have a generation side, uh, most probably out, out of PV. And if you aggregate that um, on a certain level, that it comes to flexibility in, in megawatt sizes or amounts, then suddenly a lot of markets are um, are accessible. And I think there the challenge will be to to loosen the restrictions. I think um, what we have at the moment and what some players already did or still do is doing um, the same effort for um, for a small scale household battery that you have to do for a twenty megawatt battery because the grid requires just um, or and, and with the purpose of course has some technical expectations on how your how your asset works and the question is if, if, if this is suitable for a small scale household battery or if there should be in the future other markets and i'm not only talking about uh, the existing intraday markets um, that would be a good fit i'm talking about maybe local flexibility markets where bigger assets in a, in a grid area or in however these areas are exactly defined then maybe based on, on where are congestion points, where bigger assets and, and aggregated small assets um, can participate. And we add one additional market to the existing setup, uh, maybe one um, where the DSO can can place bids and say, okay, I need that to, to get rid of some congestions. And on the other side, the owners of flexible assets should be free to choose which markets um, to, to leverage, um, to optimizing the flexibility, be it um, a feed tariff, be it a market where the DSO is the, the main counterparty on the other side, be the wholesale market, be the ancillary services as, as, as of now. And I think having that said with types, types of different um, markets, this can also be including buying um, capacities for flexibility. So not only short-term um, balancing renewables, but also long-term securing. Uh, flexibility if i'm a distribution system operator these markets are getting quite small and compared to the markets we know i would assume rather illiquid so if local markets are getting too narrow you may have one big player and uh, some aggregated households and um, to be honest they all don't have batteries and vehicle to grid so it will there, there will be some time some years until at least a, a certain volume is reached where we could implement such markets but, but I think that be a setup of the future. I also have a very strong opinion on, on all this peer-to-peer um, -peer trading, etc. I, I think that especially small players, um, this this whole trading, however it, it would look like, has to be fully automated. So I don't see a world 
where I'm standing here with my mobile um, and chatting to my neighbor and, and we trade 1.2 kilowatt hours that was produced as a surplus in my PV and um, I sell it to them for 4.3 cents per kilowatt hour. I think people oh, are used yeah. the power as a commodity that it comes out of the plug and it will stay like that. And I think the difference tangible for the client could be that a flexible tariff offered by somebody is just cheaper. And on page three, there is a paragraph that says, yes, the tariff is cheaper, but in exchange, I'm allowed to control your PV production, uh, use your battery flexibility. If it's, if it's not used, am I allowed to, to charge your, your car at a point in time that I think is, is um, favorable? Uh, of course, this is in, in real life and uh, way more complex than I describe it now. That, that's the way where at least the direction has to be, because if, if, if we're honest, I mean, we, we cannot simply build just big wind parks and PV parks somewhere totally disconnected from where the demand is and ignoring all grid issues and congestions that we have. So this will just result in a lot of shutdowns of wind parks in, in high wind scenarios. So I, I don't think that this alone will not bring forward the energy transition. We will reach a point in some years where somebody just says, okay, I have to curtail so much wind and PV just to not stress out the grid that we will kind of reach a ceiling um, if we don't get hands on the flexibility side. And the problem is that a lot of it is homemade by regulation. And usually regulation takes quite a lot of time to be changed, which we see with all the initiatives in in flex markets that are going on since years and actually the progress is okay-ish, well, I would say. Well, the progress, is, the progress has been pretty slow because I, I remember 10, 15 years ago being asked by, at that time I was working for a company called Utilipoint and its focus was the utility as an analyst yeah. firm. And, and I would get questions from my colleagues on the metering side of the, the analyst firm about what the implication of smart grid and smart meters was going to be on, on wholesale power trading. And they were shocked and stunned when I said, well, at the moment, virtually nothing, you know, yeah, 10, zero, 15 yeah. years ago, uh, because yeah. the two the two things are completely separated. And, yeah. um, you know, you're talking wholesale markets on, on a big scale on my side and on your side of the business, you're talking about domestic smart meters and smart appliances yeah. and smart grid. And the two things haven't really come together or, or it, the possibility of it happening is, is getting closer and closer. From, from my perspective, though, if we look at the software landscape, you've got the old ETRM solutions, which are mostly about trade management, usually long-term contractual relationships or even longer-term trade activity. You've then got the uh, application that you were previously involved in, Visitech, which is more real-time algorithmic trading tools in and around those intraday and day ahead markets but there's there's a big software gap isn't there somewhere and and do you see anything being developed i think what we did in the in in the past and what we're actually also doing now as an energy trading company is a step in the right direction because what we see or where we see the big opportunity that a lot of knowledge can be transferred from um, big wholesale markets to local or, or decentralized assets, depending on, on the, in the view point we take. Because for us, it actually doesn't make a difference if we trade a large flexibility out of uh, out of one central asset or if if it's an um, if it's an aggregated flexibility out of um, a, a lot of small assets. So there are players out there that can technically aggregate it. I think that the main challenge will be the optimization across markets and, and where I see a, a big hurdle is um, the move from 
behind the meter to I would say in front of the meter. I don't know if that's the right wording, but it's most certainly one thing that's the, the same stuff that we have with e-mobility. You know, it's it's one thing to be good behind the meter and say, okay, um, um, I have the voltages and all the stuff um, under control on site in, in my facilities. But the other thing is, um, once I've done that, to evaluate what is the residual flexibility. And the other question is, if is that smart what I do? Because I'm just looking at my internally um, generation consumption, and maybe there would be a way to buy it cheaper at the market at the moment. You know, if, I, if I'm just looking at my PV production, I maybe miss out there that there are currently negative prices on, on the wholesale market or any other local market. I think that just a small percentage of, of the use cases that you can deliver with, with uh, small flexible assets. So we're at the moment harnessing basically nothing of the full potential because it's either big assets traded on wholesale market or it's small assets behind the meter. I'm a strongly believer that both have to be fully automated um, and it, it should that the, the customer shouldn't realize the magic that happens behind like they don't do now nobody cares now uh, where the power is coming from i mean that's not true meanwhile people are getting more aware with the topic of energy transition but still i guess most people just think yeah power is just coming from i don't know magically somewhere yeah i think people in general have a have a vision or, or an expectation of the world that we cannot fulfill at the moment i mean i yes. totally like that there is more awareness yeah, um, but there is also very obvious things that we're, as we're talking about the energy industry. I mean, taking um, in Germany four gigawatts of, of of coal out of the market and most probably having um, them at reserve capacity somewhere standing around um, is the question how how mm. ideal is paying a, a lot of money um, um, for um, not created revenues um, to to power plant operators uh, by I think we have this we have this uh, the, the right picture in mind. The question is if the measures are in in line with the picture that we have in mind or if it's just some way to get it done and i rather have the feeling that it's um, a lot of decisions are very short-term oriented just to solve one thing we're missing a little bit the big picture and yeah. how com complex this topic is a lot of people talk when they talk energy transition they think about um, wind parks and pv parks and nobody talks about about well, nobody, nobody considers demand response on the consumer yeah. side. Nobody thinks about EVs necessarily. Yeah. Although, talk to uh, Brady, and they're, they're very definitely thinking about the EV side of things and the demand response yeah. side of things. And I will be talking later this morning to Energen in the UK, yeah. and they have a product called Atom, which is about optimizing and taking to market small distributed assets, batteries and small wind yeah. generators, that kind of thing. There is movement, but I think that well, I sit here talking to you and, and I struggle a little bit because my expertise is all around the wholesale commodity trading risk management market. And looking back at my days of Utilipoint, my colleagues' expertise was all around customer billing and, and, and metering systems and that kind of thing. And that's the old world. Those things have got to come together in a yep. way that previously wasn't envisaged. And they need to come together in a very automated with speed and performance. And I'm sitting here fascinated listening to you, but my mind is struggling to bring these two things together because I don't know enough about one side of this issue. So I think a lot of things have got to change and a lot of skill sets have got to change over the next few years in order to make this a reality. This will take years 
a, a decade, whatever, you know, there is so many old buildings all over the world, or even if we look at Europe, there's not too many people with having all the heat pump stuff. There's not too many batteries, EVs. EVs are not capable of, of doing vehicle to grid. Charging points are um, unidirectional. So I think it, it's quite a road to get there. Or quite some oh, a long way to go. Long yeah, way to but, go. But, but I think that's um, in, in, in my world, that's not so, the final picture and doesn't have to be super clear. What, what I think is very exciting that a lot of people in the market realize that there will be a, a future that's going into that direction and they just try out new things. And that's mm -hmm. what I think is exciting. I think nobody would have an answer to the question how the, the power market looks like in 15 years and how that works with the local flexibility and if there will be peer-to-peer -peer stuff or not. Because 10 years ago, ancillary services were a big success and people built their business models around it and say, hey, guys, for the first time, we can aggregate or make it happen that smaller players can also access the markets. And then intraday showed up. And meanwhile, five years later, we're talking about small-scale batteries and, and smart charging and vehicle-to-grid and all that stuff. So I think what, what we did, when, when you think... Um, End of the 90s in, in Austria, you were only allowed to switch your supplier for the first time. Beginning of 2000, the same in gas. Yeah. Uh, so if you think that that's quite some progress for the energy it's industry rapid, that was rapid. to just ramp up their plant and uh, run it straight through. If I could own, own a house that had that level of sophistication, I you know that it had the gener generation capability, that I had an electric vehicle that could be uh, used as a an battery option, so to speak, that I could sell that or buy from the market when when price was right and do my own hedging, even though it may be managed for me by an aggregator or even though it may be done automatically by some set of computer programs. And and then, you know, when you start thinking about, well, I can I can decide when my washing machine could run automatically and everything can be linked. We can be hyper energy efficient that way. But that's a high, high connectivity, highly computerized world. And we're nowhere near it in many regards right now. But as you say, things have moved very, very quickly. There's a lot of incentive, financial and uh, fear-based, which I don't necessarily agree with, but the financial incentive is huge to, to make this transition as fast as possible. The problem is, is we saw what happened in Texas earlier this year. We saw what almost happened in, in Europe earlier this year. And there's a disconnect between the politicians and, and the legislators and the people that really know what, what they're doing in order to make this happen that also needs to be managed by somebody. I totally agree. Um, I, I still don't have a smart meter at home. So that's, that's one, of, uh, one of the cru crucial infrastructure things. And I think that will be the restriction where people will realize soon uh, that all of this uh, fancy stuff does not work in real life. And I think that will be the point when everybody realized that the legislation has to change and all the regulation around it, yeah. at least in Austria, I guess it's the same in other countries. And that's what makes me a little bit worried. I mean, we're, we talk about uh, flexibility and markets and, and, and aggregation, and I'm worried that um, regulation still doesn't come up with it and it's just not doable in real life then because that, that grid operator says, no, you're not allowed to do that. Or they kill your business case because they say, yeah, you can have a separate meter and then you have to pay grid access twice and all that stuff. And, and it's, it, it gets stuck into an um, academia 
mode where we say, okay, in theory it would work, but in real life it, it doesn't pay off or it's not doable or the grid cannot handle it. So we, we try with what, what we do in our company, we really try to, to do stuff like, I guess, other innovative companies. And that's the exciting stuff. You don't have to talk in theory. If it works, you have to call the grid operator. You have to put a storage somewhere. You say, hey, I want to aggregate three clients and start small, test it, have a discussion, talk to the regulator and just get it going. We need a lot of people doing that and not aiming for the big picture and saying, I'm, I'm designing the, the market of the future. It just needs people hands-on that say, okay, I give it a try and improve it step-by-step. Step. And, and I think that's the way, the, the way how to get there. I then continued to explore this topic, talking with Chris Regan, who's product director at Brady Technologies. Chris? So in terms of distributed energy, I very much start this by thinking about what assets are out there, what flexibility is out there in the market. You have your, your classic distributed assets such as your, your wind farms. You have a whole host of batteries being built in the GB market at the moment, but you also have behind the meter assets. That means inside the kind of a customer's domain and you have firm contracts and very, very different flavors out there, what's going on. So I thought I'd start thinking about distributed energy from what are the types of assets out there so the first thing to think about is is it dispatchable or is it really only downwards dispatchable so distributed energy could take the form of a wind farm and if we think back to last may when we saw very very low prices and very very low demand as a result of the industrial shutdown with covid we actually saw negative prices come in and we saw a new contract come in called odfm which was a downwards flexibility contract for things like wind farms and pv and in may of last year what we saw was a lot of distributed generation turning down because there was an oversupply of renewable energy on the system and this is one of the challenges that would be facing the future energy system with distributed um, system operators looking at how their energy balance is going so a dispatchable asset by contrast might be something like a battery and the battery would be able to both charge i.e take load off the system or discharge and put energy back on the system and that would that would be a much more useful form of distributed energy because it can work in either direction and finally, another, another form of um, distributed energy might be a small gas engine. Until we saw some of the market regulatory changes on prices, the, the small distributed gas engine was also a very, very lucrative way of making money out of distributed energy because it was able to essentially peak load against some of those um, non-energy costs which occur in the distribution system. So. Those are the types of assets out there, but then you've also got things like customers. So a form of distributed energy could be a customer going into demand side response and not using energy. And to all intents and purposes, a customer not using energy is a little bit like someone generating energy as its impact on both the distribution system operator as, as well as its impact onto the, the national kind of energy balance. So those type of customers are also really, really useful in thinking about how to balance the system at the distribution level. Now, what becomes really interesting is when you start thinking about customers as well as assets, you then need to start thinking about whether you have um, firm contracts or non-firm contracts. So a firm contract might be that you enter into a contract with a battery, for example, to, to generate power at certain times. The battery is pretty likely to do it. 
but also you could enter into a contract with a group of a hundred or a thousand aggregated customers to turn down their energy usage in the evening when there's a requirement on the distribution system. Now, not all of those people are going to do that. So you end up with a much less firm contract and you have to end up predicting exactly how much of that energy is going to turn up. So, so in summary, when I start thinking about distributed energy, straight away I move into, is it properly dispatchable? Is it just downwards dispatchable? Is it a firm contract? Is it more of a non-firm contract? And then from that, I start understanding what's available to balance the system. Now, as I look across the current distributed energy horizon, I would say that 90 to 100% of the maneuvers of distributed energy are meeting a national demand. So whilst they've got the advantages of being located at the local distribution level, most of the work that they're doing is to meet national demand. We're not really taking advantage of their location. As we move forward, we are going to see much more being done by the distribution system operators to use that energy intelligently for its local reasons. And I think one of the key drivers to that is going to be the introduction and the huge growth predicted of um, electric vehicles. The electric vehicle growth essentially will lead to the distribution system operators having more demand than they're able to handle. And so the use of either local generation or interruption of customers using energy, or even more cleverly, smart charging with interruption of EV charging would be a a really good way of making sure that you could manage energy systems um, and distribution systems at the same time. Now, if you think about all of these types of assets, we are hundreds of miles away from what the system looked like only three, four years ago, where the system was balanced by coal power stations still and gas CCGTs and yeah. just um, a few new batteries coming in. And so that, that kind of balancing conundrum was the way people operated their power trading desks. The power trading desk was set up with longer term ETRMs, um, slow moving optimization algorithms for coal dispatch and for CCGT dispatch, and very little was going on in the realms of bidding down wind farms, of demand side response, and very short-term localized battery optimization. So the whole market now has really changed from those longer-term assets to these new assets that I've classified. How do you trade those assets and what kind of solution, what kind of systems and solutions do you need in place now? So the interesting thing about these type of assets, it really depends on the size of them. So with my history of developing uh, battery optimization systems for trading desks, if I was looking at a large transmission or extra high voltage connected battery in that kind of 10 megawatts plus, I would represent an asset that size directly into my trading systems, into my ETRM and into my balancing systems that I use on the um, short-term power trading desk as an individual asset. It's large enough to really think about what it's doing and how it, how it operates. And so the systems out there at the moment to be able to trade the larger power stations could just about cope with that. But then as I built up my portfolio and I got more and more of those assets, it would become really difficult to track what they were doing. I would have to move away from a traditional ETRM approach into a short-term power trading approach. That similar problem already exists if you look for fleets of much more assets. So if I think about electric vehicles, no one's going to represent all of the cars in that ETRM. What you're going to do is you're going to pre-aggregate your solution 
into something that looks like a virtual power plant that then goes into your trading system. So if I imagine that I've got a supply business with 10,000 electric vehicles connected, that particular asset class would be represented as a virtual power plant within my trading system so that I would know on average what those 10,000 cars are going to do and how I could maneuver them around for value. And once you've got all of that data into your short-term power trading solution, then you're able to go into the wholesale markets, the ancillary service markets, look at imbalance versus the value of balancing mechanisms out there to then maneuver those for best value. So at Brady, we've developed our power desk, which is our short-term power trading solution. We, we are looking at representing the larger assets like the wind farms, the grid scale batteries, and all of those things that are still distribution connected as individual assets, but each asset will have a location and therefore you'll be able to model whether those those assets are in a particular distribution system and could therefore get more balancing value out of trading in the distribution system rather than just the whole system. Whereas for those smaller assets, like a fleet of 10,000 electric vehicles, those will be re- represented as a single virtual power plant that would allow you to trade around them in the shorter term and make most value out of them. PowerDesk is being developed by Brady as our answer to the short-term power market. We see that decarbonization and decentralization are the key drivers to the the new market dynamic. This means that the whole idea of trading your output at a single hub as a national transmission system is going to be flipped. And we see the actual challenge of balancing at the distribution level, hence the distributed energy idea that we've embedded into PowerDesk. We are borrowing on Brady's 30 years plus experience in power trading, asset management and market connections to develop a whole new SaaS platform that allows you to trade in the short-term power markets. And essentially, I see it as the the short-term ETRM of the future that allows you to balance in real time, balance single node and multi-nodal and connect all types of new assets like electric vehicles, like hydrogen production, like demand side response into the platform to trade it both at the national level as well as the local level. Given that that's what you're coming to market with or have you come to market with it already? So yes, we have come to market with it in the Nordic region. We've just gone live with our first customer. We have looked specifically in the Nordic region of the the more entwined overlap that they require between ancillary services and the wholesale market. So if you look at the at the Nordic market as it was last year, we had a relatively simple process where it was balanced at the hourly level and the interaction therefore between the ancillary service market and the wholesale was relatively simple to model. But now we're seeing the move to a quarter hourly settlement and um, more balancing rules that means the traditional ETRM time series is just isn't good enough for the traders to really understand their position both locally, both in wholesale and ancillary markets. So PowerDesk is already launched in the Nordic region as a supplement to our already successful EDM code to allow the Nordic customers to be ready for a new market that's much more about wholesale volatility versus ancillary rather than just at the day ahead stage for scheduling. Plainly, you've mentioned a little bit about what you see as this all meaning for the future of CTR, traditional ETRM solutions. Uh, Do you have anything to add there as you look forward in terms of how all this will play out? Yes. So to to me, if I I start with thinking about where the market is going, 
the market is decarbonizing and the market is decentralizing. So we're going to move from the any energy system, be it GB, Nordics or, or Pan-European, being balanced by tens of power stations to being balanced by thousands of distributed energy assets. Therefore, the, the modeling of those assets in the traditional CTRM needs to change to something that's much more uh, able to handle lots of assets pre-aggregated, but also when those assets are operating, none of them are going to be traded in the longer term. You're not going to trade the interruptions of electric vehicles a year out. You're going to trade the interruption of electric vehicles today, maybe a bit for tomorrow. When you look at wind farms, you may be putting some long-term hedging in, but you're not going to trade the shape of your wind until day ahead, within day, and then the balancing of the wind and the downwards flexibility, you're only going to trade in real time. So if we think about the traditional ETRM, it's about long-term risk management, trade life cycle, really efficient trade booking, book structure. Whereas the challenge that's facing us now is what is happening real time? How do I balance? How do I make the most money out of doing the best next action for my asset class? Now, one of the examples I've used a few times through, through our chat is electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Electric vehicles are going to cause a problem, as I said earlier, in that the demand, the peak demand of electric vehicles will be more than double the ability of the distribution systems in the GB, for example, to handle that flow of energy. Now, I think the worst thing we can do is dig up every road in the country and put twice as much copper down to handle that system. So therefore, the the energy trading system of the future, the short-term power trading system like PowerDesk, really needs to understand how to model the responses of electric vehicles at the distribution level, and then you can balance system. And the balancing conundrum is going to move away from Wokingham, where everything's done at a macro scale, to each of the individual DSOs being balanced, not at the postcode level, but I think at the DSO level, to make sure that their supply-demand balance works, and they're not trying to drag excess power in from the TSO and bring it down to the street level. And similarly, if you look at places like Devon, where you see very high levels of of PV, especially if you ever drive down the A303, as I do regularly, you'll see huge amounts of distributed generation within the DSO, and you end up with a problem that the DSOs become massive net exporters at times. And again, you've got to find a way of increasing demand at those local levels through trading systems like PowerDesk. As we go forward into the future, Gary, I also think that hydrogen production is going to be a really interesting value add opportunity for for energy. We look at transportation, we look at some of the future energy scenarios, and we see the move away from hydrocarbons to maybe hydrogen as a fuel is really interesting. That hydrogen being produced by electrolysis should be the classic co-located manufacturing process next to power generation. It minimizes the losses, it minimizes the use of system, but clearly when the value of energy exceeds the value of hydrogen, you interrupt production. And when the value of energy is low, that's when you maximize your hydrogen production. So I think this will be another force of distributed energy and flexibility of the future. When we coined the term ETRM a couple of decades ago, looking back now, it seems a bit of a misnomer because most ETRMs don't have that much of a a strong risk capability, as you're probably aware. And I agree with you. If you look forward at ETRM long-term, more risk management, then a lot of the current ETRMs are pretty deficient in that area, I would suggest. So we may see some more upheaval in the whole ETRM, CTRM arena just because of the sort of ripple through effect of this. I, I completely agree. I think the, the underlying data structure 
of the traditional ETRM has made assumptions about it needing to be a very strong performer on the curve with um, some forms of risk analytics, with option modeling and good trade lifecycle. But most ETRMs are unable to really update in the real time. But also most of those ETRMs, my experience, don't spend a lot of time thinking about the user experience. Now, when you're booking trades and running reports and exporting into spreadsheets, the user experience is, is less important. When you're making down-to-the-wire decisions about shall I buy, shall I sell against my wind uncertainty, the presentation of the data and the user experience becomes very, very important. And so I think that the ETRM of the future, the short-term ETRM, will be much more gauged towards the trader user experience and the creation of the live position report and the ability to trade directly both nationally and at the local hubs rather than the kind of trade booking life cycle and that longer term risk management back office settlement function. I then spoke with Chris Fisher, who's Energen's business development manager with a specific focus on what's going on in the UK. The main thing is that Back in 2001, when we went to NITA, uh, there was a lot of large power stations, 800 megawatts, 1,000 megawatts, those sort of things. And then to balance the system, you needed to schedule those assets. If you needed 3,000 megawatts, that's three stations you would turn on. Whereas now, if you because the market's going more distributed because of the uh, impact of renewables, which is causing the time that you need the thermal assets to run for, um, to be a lot less because you're, they're only filling in the gaps when renewables aren't there. You need to turn these assets on and you need to turn on a lot of smaller assets that can react quicker. So to get the 3000 megawatts, you're now turning on a lot of 10 megawatt or 20 megawatt sites. And that's why we've here at Energen have looked at the different, the way to do that and looked at the different asset classes and come up with a solution that allows you to say, I want 3000 megawatts. And Atom will look through and turn the different assets on in order to make the most money for you. And that's the main problem is, is being able to schedule those assets. Because if you think that trading closes at 15 minutes to the start of the delivery period, you basically have 15 minutes to schedule all of those assets and get them up to maximum load that you've sold out to. So the quicker you can do that, the more time you have to trade and the more time you have to get the assets up and running. There are also a lot of other markets that you can play in with distributed assets. So when you're trading distributed assets, you have to compare between balancing mechanism, for example, wholesale trading, you know, ancillary services, and now the new DSO contracts as well, where they're asking for you to respond. And being able to do that and revenue stack effectively is obviously going to increase the business case for these small assets, renewables, batteries, and all those sort of things, because they can play in different markets in order to, when one market's not paying out, they can switch into another market and get money that way. To what extent uh, do you see automation playing a role? Because I, I was just talking to Jürgen Meyerhofer at Inspired Trading, and he was saying that all of these markets eventually need to become, in his opinion, fully automatic. Yeah, so I think, think where you're going to have the problem with automation is the different revenue stacking. So I think what you can do is you can say, okay, at the moment, if they're separate markets and you say, well, we either go in the BM or we go into ancillary services, these are separate markets. So they say, OK, you'd have to make that decision. And automating that becomes a lot more complex because you have to be able to forecast exactly what's going to happen for the whole day. And I think that bit will still require people's involvement, will still require people to look into that. Once you make that decision and say, OK, we're going to go frequency or we're going to go wholesale or we're going to go wholesale with dynamic containment on top because that can revenue stack then i think yes you can automate it 
and that's what we're sort of aiming for as well so with GenStar 4 and with Atom that provides auto balancer mechanism for example it um, allows you to do dynamic containment which again will feed through automatically so that automation is already starting to be built will we see very soon it being completely automated probably not because well the energy industry is a bit slower on that front but also national grid everything they do is manual because you've got a person at national grid saying we need to turn up say 50 megawatts or 100 megawatts and they are manually putting that instruction in place there is some user error so because you then have to take into account that that user might put something in wrong can something that's autonomous be able to work out all of these mistakes and say should i still accept it because it mm -hmm. looks really crazy should i still accept it and until national grid get a bit further down the line of automating i think it's going to be hard to completely automate everything and again, that's why we've sort of gone down the route is if it looks right, we can automate it. If not, we throw it up to the user to say, do you want to accept that? If you roll the clock forward five, ten years, and mm. we get into that environment where you have smart households, that level of, of distributed asset, what do you see having to take place in order to get there? Yeah, so there is no reason technically you can't do that now. You know, we can put these assets together. We could put in a housing estate together and do that. That's absolutely fine. There's no problem with that. The issue we have at the moment is sort of the opposite one of the modification that's just come through. So the modification that's just come through allows you to allows you to go right up to the asset and say that's what we want to balance on, which is great for generation units. You can you can play in the balance mechanism and it's not netted off against the, the demand side. Um, so if you have an embedded generator, it's not netted off against demand, so it gets the full volume. What we need to do in order to get what you're talking about, which is sort of community based, is we need to be able to put meters together. And then we have the tech behind that says, OK, we will sort it out and work out they're borrowing from uh, number six. So they have to pay number six and then they're borrowing for, you know, their number eight are paying that. Oh, sorry, are generating um, some solar. So we need to pay them. And you sort of have a local energy market within that estate and they deal with each other. And then you have on that boundary point of the estate, you have a meter. That's when you go to National Grid and that's where you get that's when you get charged by the supplier. The way it stands at the moment, you have you have a lot of charges as soon as it comes out of your meter, you know, like the carbon tax that you need to pay for the all the different green renewable, all the different green incentives that come off the domestic bill. They all need to be done. Now, if you're having a community together, they shouldn't be charging for those because they're they're basically not polluting. They're they're doing it themselves, and it should only be when it gets to that boundary that they start to do. So there's some regulation change there that needs to be done before we can actually go to community hubs. Regulation change and probably infrastructure. If you try to do that in an existing area, probably going to be a lot of investment required. Plus, again, talking to Jurgen, he was talking about asking for two. The two charging points from his local utility and they couldn't provide yeah. couldn't provide it yeah so one of the things it, with the charging points is that um you can't with the existing substations they all need to be upgraded uh, as a, a legacy substation can have about three charging points on it after that the transformers don't work very well they sort of explode uh, <laughs> so <laughs> So they need to upgrade the substations in order to allow that to happen. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely that front where they would need to do it. But if you did a local energy market, you'd be consuming. And if someone charged their EV, 
they would be consuming power from someone that has a solar panel or someone that has a battery in the same area. So you wouldn't be going yeah. through the substation. So it's only when you have that meter, which you put at the substation, let's say, which is the one that goes onto the grid, that's going to have the, that would be needed, I think. So we, we'd have these local markets, which were real-time computer markets. Yeah. And then there would be an inter that, that would then be seen as a, a sort of aggregation point to the, to the grid, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But there's a long yeah. way to go. And I, and I think that having talked with you guys about Atom quite extensively, I, I, I immediately saw that as something software-wise that was extremely helpful in, in trying to bring this vision forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's something that we're, we're looking to build. I mean, in that scenario we just talked about, we would be the one at the substation and using Atom there to connect a load of substations together. Now, the, when you go back and you look at the individual houses, you know, there are a lot of other people that we work with, that we partner with, that that, that could do that and then feed into Atom to allow you to optimize most efficiently. And with the Atom system, what that would mean is that you have all these local energy markets trading with each other, but if they have any excess power or they need any excess demand, Atom would help them monetize that uh, in the wholesale market, in the national grid, um, balancing yep. mechanism, that sort of thing, and you know, feed that back so they can get some revenue as well. Next, I spoke to Johan Zamboni, who's CEO of Easy Energy. First, I think that there are two uh, ways to see the distributed assets, the way we handle them, because uh, at Easy Energy, we, we are a software editor, but we also have a 24-7 team acting on behalf of our customers. So we, we, we do our customers' actions, and we see distributed assets as production assets on one hand, small CHPs, uh, maybe wind farms, maybe small hydro, uh, which are aggregated from the TSO point of view as single units, I would say. And also, there is also the demand response side, which is usually, to put it uh, in a simple way, handled the same way as distributed assets. And uh, in what we do on behalf of our customers, which means selling on the day-ahead market, uh, rebalancing on the intraday market, scheduling through the software, uh, goes for both. So both uh, distributed generation assets, but also distributed demand response assets, seen from this point. How has this impacted software needs in the industry, and how has it impacted Easy Energy's delivery of software? Basically, as far as we, we know and from what we handle and see, it's seen from the TSO point of view, and this is a notion of aggregated. So it's still at this stage, mainly remains at the TSO level, which means that TSO, let's say, defines unit. They have unit connected to the TSO. It can be one, mm -hmm. big, one big single unit, or it can be one unit aggregating distributed assets. And in that case, there is not much difference, I would say because it still remains a unit from the TSO point of view. But what we start to see and start to feel, but which is clearly not today something which is impacting as of now the software or the operations we do, is that the DSO would come to play a role themselves 
And in that case, this would impact because it's like new connection to new operators, maybe mm -hmm. process, but it's, it's in the air, it's, it's, it's ongoing, but it's not uh, in operation yet, I would say, to, to, to make it simple. So the way I would see it is that the TSO would lose the role they play today uh, with uh, this aggregation. And I have to admit, some of the time, uh, we feel the TSO is not really at ease with those small units. This is why they aggregate it in the end, because those small units, it's like they play with one, five, ten meg, whereas they have uh, the use to play with several hundreds of meg. So it's something which uh, they get used to, but they are not really comfortable with, uh, at least some of them, clearly. And the impact I would see is that it goes to the DSO level uh, it, it, with uh, another layer, I would say, of, uh, of action, of direct action, more local, like we see uh, with uh, uh, local uh, actions or markets, which are uh, handled by North Pool or Epex with very mm -hmm. specific, specifically dedicated uh, physical markets where you buy power or you sell power from this or this asset because it's very local. And in that case, the DSOs are implied also. And so I, I would say that it would be a shift uh, toward the DSO, which today mostly don't, so far they haven't handled the balance, production balance part. They are more on the voltage uh, management part, I would say, not on the power management part. And I would see it switching with uh, distributed assets. And when someone is aggregating a number of distributed assets, what demands does that play in terms of trying to optimize those distributed assets in order to meet some kind of a target or goal output? If I understand your question correctly, it's the main thing today for those persons is to get enough megawatt or kilowatts aggregated to reach at least, let's say, one megawatt or something like that, which mm -hmm. is something which makes sense to trade on the market. Otherwise, it could just be considered as imbalance and that's it. So this is one challenge we see today uh, because it's, it remains at the TSO level. And I know, for instance, in France, there, are, there is lobbying to, so that the TSO can recognize units uh, below a level of, uh, let's say, one megawatt or something like that. And if you go to the DSO level, then it's, uh, it's much easier uh, to, to reach, to, to handle those uh, small uh, unit level, I would say. But in the end, the challenge is also that if you want to trade 0.1 megawatt uh, on the exchange, it's possible, but then it remains very, very small quantity in the end. If, if I'm virtual power plant and I've got batteries and wind farms and small solar, and I'm trying to aggregate that, how am I actually optimizing those assets behind the aggregation? Yes, clearly, which is not the kind of software we do here because it's more uh, asset yeah. optimization or aggregation. But you have right. to consider many technical constraints. So you could also see it as aggregating demand response uh, with uh, also yeah. production assets. And the tricky part is, okay, usually you have constraints, like you, if, if we take demand response, so you have uh, optimization to do because 
you cannot stop more than two hours every maybe a day or half day or this kind of constraints. It's like when you play a Tetris or a Legos and you have to build a, a block based on all those different technical constraints. Okay. And this is uh, the flexibility constraint. And in that case, what is needed is a software where you put your different flexibility assets with their constraints, and then the software will build the minimum blocks that you can, for instance, trade on the exchange or on the market. And this is where this kind of software is really useful in that case. And I think there is a space for this, uh, this kind of software. Should it be for the energy market or for the ancillary services market also, uh, for like primary reserve, secondary reserve. Yeah, in fact, I think we're beginning to see a market for software developed there with, uh, with a number of different businesses that I'm familiar with, but mainly I've seen them in the UK and not necessarily in continental Europe, but that may well just be that I haven't uh, found the continental European ones yet. So in terms of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and those kind of technologies, are you deploying them and where are you deploying them? So today we are not uh, deploying them, but what we would see on our, on our roadmap to deploy them would be uh, the intraday trading, because this is where you need, for instance, it's very basic, uh, you will need some uh, price forecast. Okay, what, what, what is going to be the price for the next quarter hour? What is the uh, confidence in which uh, I would reach my limit or not, or go to the imbalance price, this kind of things. And this is typically where, uh, in our software field, we would put uh, machine learning or, uh, or AI, I would say. It's more right. price, price, short-term price forecast, I would say. And again, there seem to be a number of new, small um, AI companies emerging in that price discovery area as well, interestingly enough, that I've come across recently. Uh, just to finish up, and give us like a quick overview of Easy Energy's role in the marketplace. We've known a strong growth over the past months, years, I would say, two years, including the COVID period, which has been a really, uh, really fruitful. And what we see is uh, many new entrants really new, new market participants, so which are new companies, small new companies at the beginning at least, which are either handling uh, flexibility, so valuating flexibility on the market, or uh, trading cross-border and cross-country. And, and those are the main uh, new customers we have uh, in portfolio, trading cross-border, should it be uh, in gas, in power, uh, and also trading uh, flexibility, and in that case, it's more power-oriented. And lastly, just give us an overview of Easy Energy and its capabilities. So we are part of the Energy One group. So in Europe, along with our uh, sister company, Contigo, who is more focused on the ETRM space, we are more focused on the short-term operations and automation. So everything around short-term position management, uh, around scheduling nomination, also for the asset uh, part, and also uh, automated trading, which goes uh, for both continuous markets with algos, but also, and this is uh, the new thing we have, we have developed uh, very recently and are currently releasing with our first, uh, with the first customer on this functionality, the complete automation for auction bidding. 
So for linear orders, block orders on both EPEX and North Pools, for instance, which is part of the daily process of every market participant and uh, which today is not that much addressed uh, with a software enabling full automation for that. So as we have learned, perhaps things are set to continue to change and evolve at a pace in Europe and around the globe when it comes to electric power. Are the visions achievable? I'm a believer in humanity's ability to adapt and innovate. And as Jürgen Meyerhofer says, in part, it is about simply being innovative and challenging the regulators, legislators and others to move forwards towards the goal in a stepwise manner. What do you think? Wherever things end up, it can be certain that there will be challenges for ETRM and related software vendors, as well as new opportunities. And Comtech, as the leading analyst in the space, will be covering the progress that vendors and users alike make in the future. My name is Gary Vesey, and you are listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by Commodity Technology Advisory, kindly sponsored by Enuit. If you might like to be mentioned as a sponsor and support this podcast, please do contact us. Thank you for listening. Please like and share this podcast wherever you listen. And of course, do please stop by CTRM Center for all the news, views, insights and research into CTRM and related software. You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Basie and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.